Eurovision for Real podcast. I'm excited because I'm not alone and I have Shortcake ESC. You're a YouTuber. You are also um, one of the faces of the EurovisionFam.com stream and YouTube channel. You took over the TikTok uh, in, in Turin last year. Tell people, how did you discover Eurovision? So um, that actually is quite a funny story. Uh, So before I found Eurovision 2014, mind you, that's the context that I'll establish. It was Conchita's year that brought me into the Eurovision fandom. But this was also the time when I was spending, I don't know, most of my online life on Facebook. I was a big K-pop consumer. Prior to Eurovision and before K-pop really took off, I was listening to kind of everyone's back catalog of their stuff and uh, that's just kind of where I was. When I was on Facebook, I saw I remember I remember the um, thumbnail of the headline. It was Drag Queen wins the Eurovision Song Contest and I was just like what the hell is this? Cuz I've always been I've always been so fixated on everything um not American culture, European culture very strongly as well. And I was kind of coming into my own LGBT identity that was very curious for me. And on top of that, I realized this was a song contest between countries. And what do I love? I love music. I love being able to see flags. And it's just so full of character. And there's there's something new every year, despite how dated or futuristic a Eurovision entry or process may be. It's always a mixed bag. And that's something that keeps me coming back, despite um, results not exactly being in my favor. <laughs> You know, it's interesting. I I love that. And I was even going to kind of say, I think it's interesting the fact that you kind of came into the contest in a way that almost parallels your own life experience and what you were going through sort of at the time. Mm -hmm. And I think what makes that so powerful is the fact that it then makes your relationship to your vision so personal. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I don't even fully think I understood the fact that I would uh, be identifying uh, at least a year and maybe two years later as um, as a gay man. I was definitely still navigating that. And uh, I, I don't feel like um, the era of K-pop that I was listening to was going to give me the leg up with that. When I saw Conchita and then, because um, uh, 2014 was the year that I, not only was I introduced, but I grew so obsessed that I watched the winner's recaps. I watched like all the highest placing entries videos, all those like compilation videos to re-familiarize myself with it. And it's always been a place that's safe for LGBTQ plus people. And seeing that it it was, it's just been so different because uh, out here in the States, you may know, um, we don't exactly get something so solid and concise every year that can give us representation in that um, regard. So it was very, very like, I'm, I'm still hooked on it just as I was. I wonder if, and I'm kind of thinking to myself because I I had a conversation with someone earlier about this. I think Eurovision is becoming a little bit more mainstream now, mm-hmm. and and this festival that you know became a little bit camp mm-hmm. is now becoming more mainstream. Thus, it's like 
is it becoming less safe for queer folks in the space? What do you think? And and even queer folks on the stage, maybe? Hmm. I don't, uh, th that wouldn't be the first thing that occurs to me regarding, um, okay, so yeah, that wouldn't necessarily be the first thing to me regarding the whole mainstreamness of Eurovision now, because, uh, I, I think I do still see the same ratio of LGBTQ plus people and the representation I don't feel like um, has uh, quite changed in the last couple of years, but that is a very interesting perspective because a lot of things have changed in the last five years regarding the contest. And we have different factors playing in kind of like mainstream culture, um, uh, having more Americans interact with the contest. And uh, what was I, what was I gonna say to that end? Uh, pretty much, I, I don't. Um, I don't think it's causing us uh, to be uh, to be kind of excluded from that because it's going more mainstream. I, I have a number of issues with the fact that it's going more mainstream. Not all of them are like big glaring issues, but uh, in terms of representation, I, I feel like I'm still sitting pretty neatly. But that's just my perspective and my um, my allotment, I guess. <laughs> I mean, look, I think it's valuable to check in about this because someone mm. asked me the question and was like, do you feel that? And I was like, you know, it's not something that I thought about, but I, I wasn't necessarily like, oh, what you're saying is crazy. Mm. I was like, okay, as a European, I could see how maybe you feel that way because, and, I, and the way that I described it was, and, and I think the question that came before that the person asked me was, you know, what is camp and what is trash? Uh -huh. And to me, what I sort of said was I was like, well, I, I think kind of inherently camp, and I don't even think I said this piece, but in essence, I said all of this. But the one piece that I didn't note was, I mean, when we think of gentrification and how gentrification works, and, mm -hmm. and it's a place they kind of, it's like where minority communities were living, Sometimes it legitimately was areas that were the projects mm -hmm. and, and had been discarded by mainstream, straight, typically white folks. Yes. They've abandoned those areas. And then who comes in and makes it cool? The queers. <laughs> like queer folks come in, they make yep. it cool, they open up cafes, they open up restaurants, and then the, mm -hmm. and then the city goes, ooh, people are going over there. So maybe we can make a little bit more money off of this space. So that mm, that's the gentrification yeah. model. But I think what happened with Eurovision it, from my outside, you know, American non-involved perspective was, you know, I think once the critiques started cropping up that Eurovision was too political, uh, I think the, the critiques that Eurovision, you know, was dated and the songs mm, were, mm -hmm. you know, not current. I think then there was this sort of lull. And then what happened? The gays were like, no, this is ours. We like this. If you don't like it, cool. We're going to celebrate it. We think that this is dope. Yes. And now what you see happening with the globalization of Eurovision, and I think the increased commercialization of Eurovision, you know, having all of these big sponsors really in the forefront. I mean, now we have the mm. YouTube channel where next to the Eurovision logo is Moroccan oil. Like, you know, <laughs> so the commercialization is, is happening. And so I'm like, if we see these things happening with gentrification and property prices, why would that not happen with 
with a media pop mm-hmm. entity. I mean, it's kind of an inevitable thing. I, I do think that we are headed in um, in a very kind of different trend because of the whole because of the element of gentrification that these years have brought to the contest. And um, for me, it isn't necessarily regarding the question of queerness. It's regarding the question of TikTok. I feel like TikTok is going to be the biggest deciding factor in determining the winner in the next 10 years or so, at the very least, because it has already proven to be so powerful in not only how um, not only how entrants get their votes, but just the overall reception of them and uh, the visibility of them that has provided a very, um, it, it's a very different metric of measuring success with Eurovision artists because we, we have stream heavyweights that didn't do well in the contest like Rosalind's Snap. We also have songs that did really well in the contest that aren't pulling anything streaming wise like Chanel's Slow Mo. And I think, I think um, in terms of longevity, TikTok is going to be kind of the factor that changes everything up. But yeah, I, I feel like that is going to um, require us to alter our strategies quite a bit in the next years. I mean, and, and to be fair, we're not saying that TikTok is doing this in a vacuum. Oh, you no, know, no. I mm-hmm. mean, it's affecting the music industry. It's affecting fashion. It's mm-hmm. affecting design trends, video, television shows, movie movies. It's permeating all of the media that we consume. So I think that that was, I think that was like maybe the, the thing that you couldn't predict. Mm-hmm. But the pendulum shifting to Eurovision becoming more mainstream was the thing that was inevitable, I, I believe. And so mm-hmm. I want to pivot a little bit because we had some big Eurovision news this week and the BBC announced their full Eurovision presenting and commentary lineup for Liverpool 2023. It's featuring um, Alicia Dixon, Mm -hmm. of course, Graham Norton, Hannah Waddingham, and Julia Julia, um, from The Hard Kiss. And so Mm -hmm. they're going to be our host for the semifinals and the grand final. And then they also announced the folks who are going to be doing some of the commentary. Now, they did say, and I think this was like a little asterisk, they said that Timur would be, you know, sort of incorporated and and brought in via video, uh, you know, in the hosting sort of package. But I think the key thing here is the grand final. It's going to be Graham. It's going to be Yulia and mm-hmm. and uh, Hannah and Alicia. Those are our grand final folks. But mm-hmm. then in the semifinals, it's gonna be it's gonna be the three girls. We're gonna have Yulia, Hannah, and Alicia. And I think the beauty of this is, and you can tell in the PR, you know, note, we're gonna be having musical performances. We're gonna be having musical performances. That's what's gonna uh-huh. be happening because all three of them are performers. They can sing, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know about, you know, Yulia's dancing ability, but it doesn't matter because Hannah can and Alicia can. So I think that we're going to be having really interesting intervals and and perhaps uh, even just the way that the present the presentation goes. I think we're going to be seeing them sing and dance quite a bit. What was your first reaction to the hosting announcement? Um, my, okay. So my first reaction was, uh, th- this is not a typical hosting announcement that we get for Eurovision. It's not usually this long of a list Absolutely. with, with um, these uh, different um, categories that we're seeing these hosts as, I think it could be very interesting because I mean, a- a- am I expecting a Stockholm 2016 hosts doing interval act seamlessly kind of show? 
I, I think to a degree, I, I could put myself in that perspective. But um, I am very, very much anticipating Yulia Sanina because I've been a big, big Hard Kiss fan since they lost the tiebreak in Vidbeer with Jamala in 2016. Either of those songs could have won Eurovision. I'm, I'm completely in that team. She's a very competent musician. I, I don't know if she dances. I just, I just have never seen that happen. But her English is very competent and she's very good at communicating. That is definitely going to carry over well, especially kind of... Um, with the uh, w with the way that um, I I'm just imagining that these hosts interact, I feel like it could turn out very well, despite the fact that it's not um this isn't exactly a traditional list of hosts. <laughs> I, I think it could be really really interesting and cool. I mean, I think we're in for a show. Mm -hmm. I, I think we're in for a show. I am happy about the fact that we're in for a show. I do think. It does feel very vast, like this announcement mm -hmm. is a lot to kind of chew on. But to me, I almost kind of like that because I'm a thorough process pro. I like yeah. things that feel thoughtful. I like things that feel comprehensive because it's like, here you go. You want the information, give people the info. And so I, I appreciate that. I know there were a lot of folks online sort of like, well, Timur should be hosting. I will say that I'm in the minority now, of course. American third party, not involved. Who really cares what I think? But I, my yeah, take was, <laughs> well, but my take was, he already got a chance to host. He just hosted in 2017. 2017 mm -hmm. wasn't that long ago. Yeah. So like, I could vibe to it if, you know, if it had been so long since, mm -hmm. you know, we had had a, a, a Ukrainian Eurovision. If he had never gotten the opportunity to host Eurovision, I could have been here with that. Mm. But that's yeah. not the case, okay? And and to be honest, even if we just want to talk about in the streets as media professionals, Graham Norton has been in these streets just based off age longer. Yes. Okay? So so to me, I, I get the critique, but I would have preferred if people were like, if it was anybody but Timur, real talk for as a Ukrainian mm. professional, uh, like Ukrainian media professional. For me, he's already hosted Eurovision before. He already has that note on his resume. So yes. to me, I'm thinking, why would I give him uh, the opportunity to do a double if there is someone else who has not had the opportunity who is competent? Now, mm. I did have my lighters up for Mila Kunis getting an ass. Mm, you know, I, yeah. I did have that out there. I thought that that would be a really good idea. She would have been super high profile. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, a lot of people are like, oh, but you know, she's American, but she is Ukrainian. She speaks it like, and yeah. she identifies as Ukrainian. She has never wavered mm -hmm. on this. This is not some secret thing. So I just thought that that could have been nice as someone who just wants more people to watch Eurovision. She would have been a nice draw. And I think she could have filled the space because I do mm. think as, as vast as this announcement was, we could have had a little bit more Ukraine in the mix. I, I just oh, think that definitely. there were other media professionals. Now, some people did drop out, you know, mention Jamala, to be honest, no, thank you. Like mm. she's not a media professional. And again, she has been on the Eurovision stage more than one time because she won. And then with yeah. Ukraine, you know, hosted, she got to do the interval act and perform again. So to mm -hmm. me, I'm just thinking about how can we give platform and shine to people who are competent, but who have been in these streets for a minute. Yeah. And um, 
it's funny that you mentioned that Mila Kunis point because now I'm kind of envisioning that that would bring quite um because Mila Kunis's natural speaking energy she's quite fun she's quite lighthearted and kind of the cloud that's surrounding Ukraine and their victory is about the war it's about the fact that they were catapulted to the victory because of the war and having her there would be th that would have been quite um the contrast to kind of say like hey Ukrainians are people we have humor we have we have things that we want to share about ourselves that don't exactly allude to this um, big situation that's happening. And um, yeah, there could definitely could have been more Ukraine in the mix. One question about Timor. He was just in the green room in 17, wasn't he, though? Well, no, I mean, you know, they brought him in and out. Like, yeah, he was on that, the stage. Like, yeah. But again, I mean, and to be fair, I, I, I will say I have, I have been on record as saying this. I really don't think we need more than two hosts with love. I just, mm -hmm. I feel mm -hmm. like, and I also feel like you can have two hosts and then you have your one green room person. I, I just think, you know, widening the table, ultimately, I just don't feel like it is super necessary. Yeah. I mean, lest we all forget, Beatra Mede did it her all by herself. Okay. <laughs> all and, by and herself. We, and we wanted for nothing when she did it all by herself. So this mm -hmm. sort of expansion of hosting duties, I am on record saying I get it, but I wouldn't say I'm a number one top-notch fan of said practice, personally. Yeah, I understand that. We do get the sensation sometimes of uh, too many cooks in the kitchen, like Lisbon 2018. Too many. Too many hosts, too many. and ultimately and not necessary. <laughs> yeah, just like, ugh. it's like I get, like I, I, it's weird because I'm like, I don't hate it but it's frustrating mm -hmm. because i think the way that it is played out it'd be one thing if you got that four person panel where there's just so much chemistry and there's just so much like kind of banter and we get some humor we get some dancing and there's a and i hate to use a buzzword but we get like literal synergy mm -hmm. unfortunately that has never happened i could be made a believer in you know, kind of the four person hosting gig, if we had seen it done well, we have not. Mm -hmm. We haven't we have seen not. it done well at all. <laughs> no. And so the fact that they just keep, you know, going hard for it, I'm just like, for what? And for oh, what? And um, it doesn't even necessarily have to be four people. If, if it's going to be any number of people don't make it feel like you're contractually obligated to do so at that point that was my issue with yeah. Turin. that was my yeah. issue with Turin. yeah it just i mean because sometimes mean, it can of, feel like too many people just by the fact that all these people aren't saying much well that's true i i, I will say though as much as i have this critique i know that we're going to have great shows i just want to make mm -hmm. it clear i think that these shows are going to be <laughs> beautiful to watch mm -hmm. i am going to have to figure out a bootleg way of downloading them because i just know that this is a eurovision edition that i will want to watch again because you mm -hmm. know peacock went on and snatched 2021 away from us i didn't even know that they were going to do that had i known that i would have i don't know bought my dvd and figured out a way i, I was Nothing. literally trying to introduce someone to the contest and i was like well good god i can't show you 2022 so, you know, but luckily I was like, but luckily we've got 2021 right there at our fingertips and I'm clicking and it was not there. I was not happy about that. 
NBC, mm-hmm. Universal, do better, come up and spend the money. Uh, spend the money. Uh, but I digress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I do think that these shows are going to be good. So with any mm-hmm. critique of this, I think the ultimate takeaway is it's still going to be really good shows. Oh, yeah, definitely. The BBC, yeah. they, they are competent beyond belief if not one thing <laughs> they, yeah. they'll be they'll they'll be ready to put on um like a diverse array of entertainment despite the songs and yeah. i'm saying despite the songs that as in like regardless of the quality of the songs regardless of um what the songs are trying to project the the show itself the, the bbc they know they're gonna know how to make it light light and fun and just generally good absolutely so i again critique away, but I think Mm -hmm. some of this commentary and negative feedback will be real hard for people to open, well, fixate their lips and say after these shows go live and it's like, "Mm, this is one of the best productions of Eurovision we've had in in quite some time, which I do believe the BBC is on their way to producing some Mm -hmm. of the best Eurovision shows that we've had of the new millennia. Yes. And again, but I will say this. I doubt that they will top 2016 because Petra and Mons, they know each other. They knew each other then. So there was chemistry. It just, the show flowed. So, you know, I just, I highly doubt they'll be able to top that because they've got the four hosts, but I'm going in optimistic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always good to go in optimistic. It it really, the chemistry between the hosts, that, that can mean everything. It, it can. really can, and Pet- Petra and Mons, they they were excellent in that regard, and that also was what helped the intervals feel so seamless. It's just because they just looked like they were having fun. That's mm-hmm. the point. I, I like seeing hosts when it looks like they're enjoying themselves. We don't yes, always yeah. get that in Eurovision years. Sometimes we get hosts that are um, that are a little sour on the mark, but. <laughs> That is absolutely true. But I will say, I think that that is mostly yesteryear, not Eurovision of new. Well, Mm -hmm. we got like three new songs that I figured we could kind of dive in and talk about this week. And let's kick off and talk about Italy. Due Vite, Marco Mangoni. All right. So, um, hmm. Uh, How do you feel about the song? Tell tell me your thoughts so far. Well, I really like it. I mean, mm-hmm. I do think it'll be in my top 10. I don't know if it'll stay super high up for me. I think currently mm-hmm. it's my number five mm-hmm. of the songs that we have right now. It's my number five, but I, I imagine that will tick down for me as we get closer to, um, you know, closer to the big show, mm-hmm. mostly just because I think I'm feeling this from Europe, but I am also feeling this within myself. Mm-hmm. I want fun. Last year, I think I was a little bit in like a dip it and do it mm-hmm. stage. I wouldn't say I'm in dip it and do it mode right now, but I am in something that just begets joy. Mm-hmm. I want an entry that just makes me at the end of it feel joyful. And the thing is, it's weird that I'm like, I think I'm coming around to this because I think Europe is already there. Mm-hmm. I think, and when you look at the national selections, for the most part, when we look at what's winning and what we look at what the televote is supporting, it is the joyful entries. And so, although I love this song, Italy is not knocking themselves down when it comes to not giving us the quality that they typically do Mm -hmm. provide to us. 
but I don't think that Europe is going to be here for it this mm -hmm. year because I do think, I think Europe just wants to have a little bit of fun. And this song is not fun, uh, like uh -huh. with love. Uh -huh. And, and in my mind, I was like, I was trying to think of what it kind of reminded me of. Like, this is not going to have a soul deal um, response. Mm -hmm. This is, and I, and it's so crazy because I've been saying this and I want to keep saying it. This year is kind of turning into 2020. In, in what sense? Because I feel like when it's all said and done, when we have all of the songs, there will be maybe seven really, really good ones, mm -hmm. but maybe like three to four clear winner potential songs, clear winner mm. potential songs. Okay. And then there's going to be a, a huge chunk of songs that are not bad, but they're mm -hmm. just okay. Passe. They're, they're just, oh, not even passe. They're just okay. They're just good, mm -hmm. but they're not exemplary. They're not reinventing. Yeah, they're not reinventing the wheel. Yeah, they're not going to make an impact. They're just good. They're just sort of there. I'm getting a lot of safe mm -hmm. this year, and and it's interesting that we're getting so much safe following a year where Constracta came fifth. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Ukraine won with an ethno hip hop track. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know we <laughs> we had sort of this Italian ballad sung by two guys come in the top ten. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just interesting to me that Europe this year decided, ah, eh, you know, we could push it, and I'm and I'm not saying that about everyone. And so to the countries that are not doing that, they will be rewarded. But for those just sort of swimming in just good and just okay, you know, with a hundred percent televoting semi, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you mentioned a lot of points that I feel like I had concerns about and never really actually brought up. And that is the concern I have with Dua Vita. And it's it's funny because last year, the Italian ballad sung by two guys, uh, it, it made sense, though, because it was an Italian ballad that followed the victory of Monskin, which is very high tempo, uppity, punchy. The next year was a lot softer and uh, safer for Italy's standard to still follow along with the ballad template after the fact in the year 2023 with, um, in my opinion, one of Marco Mangoni's worst songs, it it has- Worst? It, it has quite an effect. Okay, so after L'Essenziale, after 2013, when he got eighth place, I believe it was, I was like, I really like this guy. I listened to his 2016 album, very, very good. His 2022 album that was released in the summer, also excellent. This song, I, I don't even exactly know why it just feels lazy on his behalf to me I, I i don't know if it's because it's just a simple piano ballad but the thing is he has better piano ballads i like this song i like the writing of it i like the arrangement production composition but it is just good i know that he's excellent so i th i think that well i feel you on that muddied. 
um, my my take on uh, his the fact that he won. Well, see, and I think that this is why you and I are cool because I think for some, I'm saying some consumers of the Eurovision Song Contest, they get confused when you say, "Oh yeah, this is good." You're like, "Why are you not so excited about this?" Well, oh, I don't know because there's three songs that are exemplary. Mm-hmm. There are three songs that are masterpiece. Yeah. So this one being good is fine. It's not a read. It's not even a slight. Most mm-hmm. music nowadays is good. Yes. There's <laughs> the select few that create exemplary music. And when we're talking Eurovision and this is a competition, there is going to be some, there's going to be some bad. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some ugly. Mm-hmm. There's going to be the good. And then there's going to be the great. Yeah. And, and if, if I am talking about a song in a Eurovision context, I am sussing out to see, is this the great? Is this mm-hmm. the exemplary? Is this the piece that is going to transcend generations? Is this going to transcend people's personal music taste? Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Now, the un- intangible piece that we always try to read the tea leaves and predict is ultimately the mood of Europe. And oh, yeah. I think the fact of the matter is, I don't think we have to do a lot of sussing out this year. It feels very obvious that Europe is looking for some joy. So although I really like Italy's song, and I will likely like it more than I think some European folks yeah. will, <laughs> I know that when it comes down to us talking about what will be in that, you know, sort of winner potential in that like, okay, that journey to the road of who is going to win this, it mm-hmm. will not be Italy in that discussion this year. No, it won't. And the thing is, Italy can hit this exact same mark and still be extremely competitive like Fairumore. You know, Fairumore was an orchestral San Remo typical ballad, but it had just that much more of an edge to it. So like, it, it But really I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this, because this is another reason why I'm like, oh, Italy, we're definitely in a 2020 year because, you know, there mm. are the delusional folks, which I think you are one of them. Um, who thinks that by Rumore was going to win Eurovision 2020. It absolutely was not going to win Eurovision 2020. We all know that Iceland was going to do it and likely in second position, maybe even as a surprise, it could have been Switzerland or Mm -hmm. it would have been Bulgaria. And that's just, that's just the hard reality of the past that some of y'all by Rumore stands have to accept because someone even told me they were like, yeah, but you know, with COVID hitting, Firemore would have won. And I was like, you are literally forgetting about John Steers and Bulgaria. Mm-hmm. Which oh, yeah. would have surpassed. Because honestly, I think I think Bulgaria was probably gonna win the jury. But I Oh still yeah, think... I remember seeing that discussion and I, I did agree at the time as yeah, well. Yeah, and and I think that I think that even us in the midst of COVID, I mean, think about what people were actually doing in COVID. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were on lockdown, but you were in your house. You were stuck. Like most people were not in mourning during COVID. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think a large chunk of Europe was either. If anything, I mean, America, we might've been a little bit more depressed um, <laughs> in some communities than Europe was just because of, you know, who we had as our leadership and just knowing like this ain't going <laughs> This ain't going to work better. out good. <laughs> yeah, it ain't going to get no better. So we might 
might have been a little bit more depressed than what Europe was in that moment. And I think that Iceland would have provided that escapism, even with us being stuck in the house that folks were hungry for. And I do think Iceland would have come top three in the jury thus. And we know the juries typically play Italy anyway. So Fyra Mori probably wasn't going to make that much of a dent. Not to mention we still had uh, Russia, Uno in the mix. So that is a good point. I forgot about Uno. Wow. You know, so I, I just, I just think the idea, like when people think about Fyra Mori winning, they think about, you know, Europe shine a light in that live performance, but you have to remember that wasn't going to happen at all. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it just was, it, just, it won't go, go down like that. Um, and, and even still, I think Bulgaria might've edged it. If, if people wanted something a little bit lower, I still think Bulgaria and Switzerland would have, yeah. Is it a honky toss? Is it a holy Yeah. Those beginning chords already sold, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And- and yeah, I, it, it's funny because I, there are not that many people who agree with you and I that Fidomore wasn't that competitive. I mean, I, I did, I did see the big reception of it after San Remo 2020, and I did see kind of everyone saying, "Oh yeah, it, it's in it like for the win." And a part of me, the part of me that's always wrong, accepts that because you guys might not know this, whoever's listening to the podcast, but. Typically, my favorite entries get last place or barely qualify. That's just the curse that I have. And that part of me was telling me, okay, yeah, Fadumora is going to be set to win because my predictions are wrong. But it looks like I wasn't the only one with that sentiment that time. You were not. But let's transition over to Lithuania. Now, Lithuania's national selection went down and it it definitely drummed up a lot of controversy. Some people Mm -hmm. were not happy ultimately because really the jury ended up deciding the winner in the mix now i'm gonna tell you i'm feeling the song Mm -hmm. (laughs) but i i made the mistake shortcake i made the mistake what mistake i looked up solo and i saw the performance (laughs) and i was like oh Maybe, thank God, I did not watch Lithuania's national selection because when I tell you that song would have instantly been in my top five, like, mm-hmm. Monica's song is currently in my top ten, but I'm knowing that it likely will dip. I like it, but mm-hmm. I know that it likely will dip. But the other option, to me, just would have really done some things at Eurovision, could have done some things at Eurovision. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> when uh, Lily and I were talking about uh, this uh, talking about Lithuania on the stream, the 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 tr- uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The contrast that so low Rudamore establishes with other '80s acts that we've seen in Eurovision is so stark, in our opinion, because with that song so low, we have a darker side of the synth. We have the side of the '80s that is very rarely ever expressed at Eurovision. And darker is really the only word I could use to describe that. But um, one of the ways that I was able to compare it was uh, when I hear that song, it reminds me of kind of the weekend's album, Don FM. It's that it's that liminal space area of the 80s that that pertains more to longing. And that 
helped me really kind of get immersed in the song not to mention killer production you don't it, it doesn't have a ton of lyrics you don't need a ton of lyrics for it to have that impact arrangement is excellent composition is excellent it, yeah that very easily could have been in my top five as well stay as it uh, currently is monica linkita she is in my top 15 i believe my current 12th place i i think that there could be a lot of elevation here because typically in a eurovision year songs grow on me songs fall day by day sometimes hour by hour so maybe by the time we get closer to the contest it establishes good enough contrast that i gravitate toward it as it stands right now though it is just good yeah i i think that's the thing with the song and like i mentioned earlier like oof, oh no are we gonna have a 2020 year mm -hmm. it's because to me with 2020 it was it was a lot of safe Mm -hmm. It was a lot of safe across the board. I could just think of certain countries. Like, to be honest, when I talk about risk in 2020, we're talking about Bulgaria, we're talking mm -hmm. about Russia, we're talking mm -hmm. about Iceland, and we're talking about Switzerland, all of whom might have been, well, probably were a lock for our top five. Yeah. After that, you know, it's a sea of songs that I like, songs that I'll still listen to, but they're not breaking the bank. They're not winning Grammys. They're not transcending, like, you know, with Monoskin vibes. They're not, you know, yeah. entries that are going to, you know, become these international smash hits. They're just not. And I, I don't mean that to say, like, all the songs were bad. Again, it's not about it being bad. Mm -hmm. It's just being good. Like, just so many of the songs that year were so safe. I say that with the asterisks of, I was still heartbroken when it was canceled. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I mean, but I even think like, I loved Montaigne's Don't Break Me. There was a riskiness about the staging that we know she would have brought to life. You know, Lithuania's On, Fry on Fire, that was a risk. Yeah. You know, we're talking uh -huh. about Lithuania, that was a risk. But then I, I look at, you know, honestly, even as much as I liked it, you know, the mama's move, that was safe. Ireland, story of my life, safe. Even mm -hmm. Hoover Phonics entry, because I loved them in 2021, but mm -hmm. then in 2020, release me. That was safe. a demo. I'm sorry. That, that, yeah, that was a safe. demo. Uh -huh. You know, we had Croatia, Damir, that good song, but safe. Yeah. Uh, you know, Sandro song, even Cyprus was kind of playing it safe. Obviously, we mm -hmm. know um, attention, safe. I'll, I'll say another one that was, that was, Ambitious Ukraine, Solovey was risky. Israel, yeah. Israel, Fekker Libby was risky. But mm -hmm. again, I'm mm -hmm. honestly for me, and I'll even say Greece, uh, Stefania or Stefania, Supergirl, Supergirl safe. Mm. Estonia, Uku song, safe. Which Austria, Uku song, what level? All of them, safe. <laughs> uh, so we don't even have to do that. Moldova, you know, Natalia's song so safe in 21 and in uh, 2020 in comparison to 2021 where we got something a little bit risky mm -hmm. I, you know what i mean you did the right I, thing though <laughs> i just yeah but i just feel like and finland's song axel looking back not bad but safe mm -hmm. denmark ben and tan i liked it but safe yeah poland song i liked it but safe Mm -hmm. the list goes on um Definitely, there was yeah. so much safe i mean honestly i think of the risk i'll, I'll say this 
of the songs that were risky and kind of interesting, it was probably, I'd be willing to give it to maybe 12 songs. And if I think to myself, I think my Eurovision 2020 selects playlist was 10 songs. <gasps> 10. Honestly, I th it, mine was gravitating between 10 and 15 as well. Yeah, and it was you, you run out of good. You run out of capacity for just good, you know? Right, and it's just like, I just want to listen to the interesting stuff and call it a day. So yeah, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I think Lithuania still has the chance to qualify this year because I told you that song actually got me pretty immediately. So I think they have mm -hmm. a chance, but it's just the question of, but could you have done better? Could you have, could you have changed yourself from a borderline qualifier to a surefire qualifier? That's, I think, the, the outstanding question. But I want to move on and talk about Australia. What do you think of Voyager's track for Eurovision 2023? So um, I think it's excellent. I just want to get that off right away. I think this is one of my favorite tracks from Australia. I do say that, though, with the knowledge that this is kind of a recreated version of their national final song from last year. If you listen to Dreamer and then you listen to Promise, they carried over maybe five or six elements that are identical. But they, in my opinion, had the song that should have represented Australia last year because it had quite a competitive edge with uh, Dreamer. I do think they're still going to be, I'm, they're qualifying. I, I see them qualifying and I see them potentially landing top 10 overall. But um, I, I know that it's not that popular with the community, and it's probably because of the just kind of the nature of the fact that it's a lot lighter in a lot of its elements than Dreamer and possibly their other tracks as well. I like it, though. I like it, and I'm continually impressed by it, and it continues to grow on me, which is really all I ask for an entry. I like it. First mm -hmm. listen, I, I really I liked it. I wouldn't say I loved it, but I liked it. I mm -hmm. liked it a lot. I do think that this is giving us a little bit of fun at Eurovision. I don't think it's a skip in my playlist, but I'm going to tell you, I don't think this is coming top 10. Mm. I don't think it's coming top 10. And tell me why. One, it's Australia. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just start from there. And I mean, I just, and I say this as the American third party, just observing what's going down. Because mm. to me, I just feel like Australia has never really gotten the love that perhaps it could have gotten if Australia was just picked up and maybe put next to the UK and bridging the gap between the UK and Europe. Um, <laughs> if it had just, if it was just in continental Europe, I think Australia would get far more love at Eurovision. Mm -hmm. I mean, Tonight Again is a song I still listen to. I love mm -hmm. Australia used to really be someone, y'all. Like, they really used to be someone. <laughs> Tonight, again, is so good. Sound of Silence. I remember when the song dropped. I remember, like, when when it was like, oh, Australia's out. Dummy in. And I remember watching the music video and be like, uh, I uh -huh. love this. Uh -huh. So yeah. I, yeah. I just, I remember that. Voyager's announcement felt, and maybe I'm just deep in these Eurovision streets, so I'll give that disclaimer. Mm -hmm. But for all the hype and sort of orchestrated silence prior to the drop, this, I don't know if this song and announcement deserved the lead up and the PR propaganda machine that it got. 
because this is mm-hmm. the thing I think people would be and I think Eurovision fans would be appreciating it more had they just said hey y'all loved Voyager they're gonna be back for Eurovision 2023 if they had just done it a while ago said the date but all of this speculation stuff you just you build people up so high that mm-hmm. then you know honestly they're they're at Kylie Minogue levels that level of PR was Kylie Minogue level like PR and promo yeah. I'm sorry <laughs> and like with love no shade to Voyager but y'all are not Kylie I think they would admit mm-hmm. that they're not mm-hmm. you know I think they would admit that they're not Kylie Minogue so I think the ex- or I would say a little bit of the backlash of it I think is unfortunately because of the way that they decided to release the song had they just announced Voyager people would have been like oh my gosh like they won the televote last year like like their song was so good you know yeah. there's so many people who liked Voyager who were saying that Sheldon robbed them you know what I mean like that mm. was like the literal discourse so if you just had said that it was them you would have had people just hyped and excited for them coming back and creating it but all the mystery just to have it be someone who was the runner-up last year just it just it, it was imbalanced and so now yeah. what's going to happen is is I think it it affects ultimately that momentum that the group could have had had they mm. just announced it regular. Um, I, I just, that. I really like it. I mean, look, like, I really like it. I think it's a great song. I just think more people would like it had they not announced it in the way that they did. Uh, now that I think about it, I feel like I would agree. If they had announced Voyager off the bat, then I wouldn't have had this kind of just like, because it was so strange. As soon as the information dropped, everyone was just kind of taken aback by it. I was a part of the people who were discussing Dami Eam, Dami Eam coming back and et cetera, well, because she did express wanting yes. to come back. No, I mean, but that's what I'm saying. I think the level of discord, it got out of hand. So then if you're not giving people what the majority of the speculation is, again, it's going to be like, oh, oh, so this is not, oh. Yeah. And you don't yeah. want that. You don't mm-hmm. want that. That's never really a good, a good thing. I mean- like, hopefully this will have uh, taught SBS by this point that if, if you're going to be repeating, then just go back and say it. Yeah, but, um, I just think that I think that they should have just said it's going to be Voyager. So many of us like Voyager anyway. So it would have yeah. been like it would have been like, oh, great, they're back. And honestly, I think it would have given them more momentum because then you would have had people pulling up their old songs, rewatching the performance from last year, saying what elements do we think we're going to have in this? You would have given them really a proper introduction, but just drop doing all of that hot hype to then drop it in the middle of the week where we found out about the host, mm-hmm. where we got, you know, Italy, we got, you know, we got all of we these other songs Lithuania. that came out. We <laughs> yeah. had Lithuania, you know, and now again, we're going to have Heat 4 of Melody Festival and like mm-hmm. it just it's like you're just sandwiched in the middle and you easily become forgettable and with australia you can't afford to get forgettable when these people are already trying to play you <laughs> yeah <laughs> and like further, further on the point of don't be forgettable another risk that i feel like they're taking is the fact that we are eight out of 18 songs are by bands this year eight well and that was my other thing i was like also, too, had they done the announcement probably when they knew that mm-hmm. they were going to have Voyager, they could have prepared themselves a little bit more. Because I'll tell you, I mean, and I said this in my reaction, I was like, look, we can have Slovenia and Australia, mm-hmm. but make no mistake, 
more people are picking up their phone for Slovenia than they will for Australia. Mm. Mm -hmm. I think, like, I think, I don't know, but my itch is that, you know, Slovenia is going to get to get a little bit more of the hype than Australia. Whereas, you know, you know, it's so weird that they kind of, like, I'm not saying, because this, this is just an aside, you know, you cancel the national selection, Mm -hmm. but like you cancel the national selection after your winner actually does well at Eurovision, (laughs) you know, you qualify. So I'm Uh like, that's a little bit like, huh? But, and yes, Voyager is big, but if you want to appease the masses, I just don't know why we didn't go with electric fields. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I just, I just, I'm like, you know what I mean? Like, this is not Mm -hmm. about, you know, I, I just feel like then why not do electric fields and, and electric fields would have still been in sort of our band group, even though they're a duo, like mm-hmm. theme that we have this year, but we know electric fields would give something really interesting. And, and I think possibly Eurovision winning. That's the Sheer hard amount part. of contrast. They like electric fields, even just in the Australia decides lineup in 2019, 2020, when they competed, that was insane there's their song it was so different from everybody else's and i've listened to their back catalog i love their music it is so it is a way of reinventing music it sounds like the future it truly yeah does. yeah and they well, maybe next year with that. yeah maybe next year i don't know everyone's mm-hmm. talking all this hype of like well i hope australia sticks around i i'm in the camp of like they are so chill out like don't I'm not worry about that it at all honestly yeah i'm like the the contract is up but they're gonna renew they'll mm-hmm. they'll be back i i i imagine um i mean because really there's only one real hiccup of australia's performance and that was montaigne and mm-hmm. some of that i think was a little bit out of her control um because mm-hmm. she couldn't really be there and you know and some people say well that song still probably wouldn't have qualified i'm like ah, i don't know if we can really i just i that. disagree with that yeah, i, I, I think disagree. technicolor if provided the right stuff that that could have landed probably mid-table in the final i i i think so i i could mm-hmm. have seen that one making it but i mean <laughs> all in all how are you feeling about eurovision 2023 um okay so uh how, how do i how do i describe how i feel about this so um this eurovision year is very interesting it's very very interesting because typically when i come to eurovision watch eurovision it's because I like to find new artists to listen to throughout the summer, in the fall, in the off season. I like to listen to a lot of the competing artists' music from before or after. That's just um, part of why I love Eurovision. This year is kind of reminding me of the fact that it's not exactly always a hotbed of new up-and-coming talent. Sometimes it's a cable entertainment show. We're gravitating more in the direction of that, especially with um, kind of acts like Croatia this year. And it, it, it reminds me that uh, w- we have a very unique show that we know and love, but it, uh, it, it's catering a little bit less toward me now because, I, because this is not where I naturally find myself searching for these kinds of songs, but uh, we're only about halfway through, so I'm going to stay optimistic over the fact that um, just, just because I haven't found all the love I typically do in a Eurovision year doesn't mean it isn't uh, to come either, because this could also be like 2019, 
in that the national finals are all weak and the internals carry it. You but know, I'm not I was the national hoping... finals is weak this year. Yeah, no, I I was hoping that I was hoping for a 2020. Uh, I was hoping for a 2019 year. Mm-hmm. I was even thinking about like, could we be 2018? Because I think 2018 was a strong year that we don't always talk about being yeah. a strong year. And I and I was debating with someone. They're like, well, why don't we talk about 2018 being a strong year? And I'm like, because people, I just love how the fandom. You know, our memories are short mm-hmm. because the road to 2018 was just will Israel do it? And the odds are all kind of in their favor that they will get it done. The song was just such a smash success that it was just like, yeah, like we'll have a great show and there will be great songs, but Mm. like it's winning. Like it's, it's winning. The second I heard the drop, the second I heard the drop, I was like, uh, who who are we going to question? Cyprus only managed to take the baton at the very, very tail end of it because there was not enough. Yeah, there really was no, and there really was not. He, it was like Netta toy. This is what it is. I Mm -hmm. think, even thinking of it in the moment and sort of how it was, you know, at the same time, kind of happening around me too. This, this movement Mm -hmm. of women sort of speaking out and then having this triumphant song, you know, I'm not your toy. So, I, I think, I think that was what it was. And then with 2019. Yeah, I mean, once Arcade dropped, it was like, this is what's winning. Yeah, yeah. This is what's winning. Like, it's just, I mean, as as good as Soulby was, for me, I was always able to remain realistic that Sol- Soulby wouldn't get it done because I'm like, the way that the juries always treat Italy and the mm-hmm. fact that it's basically a hip-hop song. Yeah, yeah. It's basically a hip-hop song. So I was like, well, I hope it comes close, but I ain't going to take the torch from duncan lawrence like it just was like yeah mm-hmm. this is i mean the way that arcade had so many folks just in a puddle is uh-huh. is notable but i want to say thank you for coming on the eurovision for real podcast you're going to come back again course, right yeah okay I'll we got to keep you guys and don't forget yes. to uh, watch the eurovision fam stream too 6 p.m uh your central european time 1 p.m eastern time 10 a.m pacific time uh we also check out the website subscribe to us on youtube and uh like there I, i'm usually better at saying this at the end of the stream but today's not a stream day <laughs> i know we're, we're gonna put the link in the description but eurovisionfam.com mm-hmm. watch the streams subscribe to the youtube channel yes. thank you so much for joining me today thank you it's been amazing see you guys later